Hi, welcome back to Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, talks to all his super awesome creative friends. Today, I am in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. I am kicking it with my friend Phil Lewis. Uh, we just went on a boat ride and uh, we are going to go to his studio. Phil is a beautiful person, artist, uh, successful entrepreneur, and uh, all around a very interesting person, and it's going to be a great conversation. So s stick around with us and enjoy. Woo. Thanks for taking us out today to for a little like boat ride. For sure. Yeah, it's so fun. So many blessings out here. You um, are not originally from Boulder, right? That's right. Yeah. Tell me where you're from. Sure. Uh, my family history, I guess, is pretty complicated and diverse, sort of. My folks are both Welsh, 100% Welsh. So oh, cool. they're both the first from either of their families or both their families to ever immigrate or leave Wales. So. Cool. My entire extended family is Welsh, and I'm actually 100% Welsh. Oh, wow. 100%? Yeah. Were yeah, yeah. you born there? No, I was born in Montreal. Ah. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Woo. My parents immigrated to Canada, lived there for a couple years. I was born there, and shortly thereafter, they moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. So I kind of grew up in, we bounced around in a few different towns um, in the Bay Area, but then eventually uh, moved up to uh, the North Shore of Lake Tahoe. In the Incline Village, so that's where I kind of had my most formative years, you know, middle school, high school, and um, and beyond. So, did you ever go to Wales? We've been back many times. Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, it's cool. pretty awesome. My my grandfather's from Wales. Oh, really? I haven't been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he grew up in a castle out there. Yeah. And yeah. I would like to go there and find the castle where he grew up. Nice. But <laughs> a good I, pilgrimage. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's very old school. Lots of castles and just so much history. It's ancient. So. Right. Um, how was it? living in Tahoe like what was it like that was like a good chunk of your life yeah right? I mean fundamental to who I've become and how I view the world I, I feel you know just being that close to nature going growing up getting to snowboard after school every day and being in the water in the lake all the time and just experiencing just the sheer beauty of the place it's super magical you know crystal clear water and just amazing land formations and mountains and things so it really instilled a love for nature that you know has continued through my whole life mm -hmm. so I, it was a blessing absolutely when did you move to boulder i moved to boulder in uh 2001 okay so why 20 years now i guess that's the piece together the story um i went to college in colorado college which is in colorado springs uh -huh. um from 1997 to 2001 and uh, right out of college, I moved to LA to join my two brothers in a band. Mm -hmm. So we played music as a rock trio 
all over LA and California. And that was super fantastic, awesome, amazing time. But we did kind of get burned out on LA, like the traffic and the city and just, the, it's just so right. much going on. Mm -hmm. So coming from Tahoe, we kind of wanted to go someplace. We were like, we need to get out of here. So during my time at Colorado College, we used to come up to Boulder quite often to see shows at the Fox Theater and the Boulder Theater and just, was kind of on my radar as like this cool kind of hippie town that had, you know, art and music and a little bit of culture. So we were just, we kind of like literally were just like, why not Boulder? Let's move to Boulder. So mm -hmm. the three of us, um, we just decided to move here on a whim kind of, um, and we did. Nice. And it was a great decision. You know, we had an amazing time here in Boulder. Nice. Yeah. As an artist, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm going all over the, the sure, map yeah, with it's, your it's, story it's and we will yep. get and, and visit the the different parts of your story. But as an artist, what do you like about living in Boulder? Well, the community here is just super supportive, you know, it's pretty open-minded for art and for, um, you know, just things that might not be the status quo in terms of like, I don't know, just art, you know, the art that I make is, is pretty wild and crazy, yet it's received really well here, you know, and I, I've tried to depict a lot of the local landmarks and scenery and some of the animals that I've seen and things. So, you know, people connect with it and they're very supportive. So, and it's just such a beautiful place. It's right nestled right up against the mountains. So, you know, in 10 minutes you can be in forest of pine trees and, you know, yet Boulder is still kind of hustle and bustle enough to support a business, you know, to support an art gallery. So it's a good blend of those two things like nature and city life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're close enough to Denver if you need to go bigger city yeah, mode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's a nice balance of all those things together. Nice. Yeah. So now let's go back to these initial stages of your life because you're, you're a visual artist, but before that you started as a pro wakeboarder, right? <laughs> I did wakeboard professionally, semi-professionally for a few years. Yeah, it was fantastic. How was that? <laughs> Tell me about yeah, it was great, you know, uh, that was, I'm trying to really think back, it was probably around like late 90s, early 2000s where, yeah, I mean, we had a sponsorship with a boat company and a wakeboard company and we did tours around the country in a big RV and just towed a boat around and uh -huh. got to share the experience of wakeboarding with people and, you know, we did photo shoots and contests and stuff like that, so it was pretty wild. Yeah, nice. Yeah. It was fun, but also taxing perhaps in your yeah, mind? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, I, we're pretty young at that point, you know, I think I was 21 during that whole phase, so we were kind of partying pretty hard, you know, and having a good time, and, and just, we, we all loved wakeboarding, so that was, that was kind of the catalyst for, I don't know, a few great years of, of riding really hard and having a great time doing it. Mm-hmm. But now you got a boat of your own and you don't wakeboard anymore. Yeah, yeah. Transitioned out of wakeboarding a few years ago as like, you know, you get a little older and like the crashes start to hurt a little bit more and more and just being a little more serious about running my business. I didn't want to break bones, you know, and uh, get hurt. So kind of transitioned into wake surfing, which is a lot more gentle on the body, you know, but still sort of fulfills that stoke, that water mm -hmm. flow. And so... Was really into wakeboarding for a few years, and then more recently, um, hydrofoil wake surfing has been my passion. Yeah. So tell me about the foil a little bit. Oh, you you man, love that crazy. stuff. Yeah, I, I see you rip it today. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's really, really fun. Super exciting. It's like a combination of wake surfing and powder snowboarding. Like the wing is producing this lift upwards, but your body is using gravity to force it down, and you're harnessing the energy of the wave. So there's this moment where all three of those things come together and you almost feel pretty weightless. You know, it's like you're literally flying along on a magic carpet. So it's a phenomenal feeling just to stand on the thing and fly along. Um, 
it's truly it's catching the flow of it, like so many elements in one. Mm -hmm. What a special thing. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel fortunate to not only have like the physical ability to do this, but also to be alive at a time when the technology is coming together to create the possibility to do these things, you know, uh -huh. like Hydrofoil has been around for a long time, but only recently sort of as the gear become user friendly, you know, mm. and so you can try different wings and different masts and boards. I could geek out on this forever. I'm not going to go too deep there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just the, the idea is that these things are really well developed at this point. And so you can harness that technology and use it to do a phenomenal experience is really what it is. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for, once again for taking me out on your boat yeah, today too. and allowing me to getting my groove on the wake surfing. Like I, I grew up surfing, but, but it's a different experience to surf a moving wave and catching the wave from the back of a boat. Mm -hmm. Similar though, but yeah, I know it's fun. Yeah, it's a great time. I, I I love board sports and I love sort of like sharing that experience too. That's part of the joy of it for me is that I, I feel fortunate and blessed to be able to have a boat on a body of water with all this gear. So like I like to try and share it with people and, and you know, spread that the love of it. That's beautiful, man. So let's get into your musician stage. So you're a wakeboarder and when did you decide like, okay, now I'm going to do music and go into it. So it was with your brothers. Yeah, it was really my brothers that kind of like convinced me to do that. You know, they, they were playing, they had another bass player um, as, a, as a three piece rock band in, in LA and things weren't going all that well with their bass player. They just weren't gelling and they kind of needed a new bass player and they're like, man, you should really learn bass and come out here and join us. And I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, I was kind of right out of college and didn't really have a plan. And that sounded like a really fun, good opportunity to, uh -huh. you know, spend time closer to my family. And what was the name of the band? The Lewis Brothers? No, we were called Storytime. Storytime? Yeah. That's cute. It was kind of all about gathering around and telling stories, you know, like uh, writing music is very much storytelling, you know, you're creating um, a narrative for people to follow along. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was fantastic. We did that for many years. It was, it was a great time. Toured all around the country, got to play the Boulder Theater and the Fox Theater. and. and this music was like like jam band or there was definitely a jam band element but we my brother tony who played drums was very rooted in punk rock so okay. it was pretty hardcore at was times it like dun, 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 yeah dun, just dun. fast crazy drums you know he would dr break drumsticks left and right he was he was hardcore just yelling Sick. you know like he was wild, like wild man but my brother my other brother pete and i kind of tried to reel him in here and there and, and uh -huh. we just we all brought our different influences to the table and i was kind of the one that I think brought in a little bit more of that jam influence, the little sort of psychedelic voyage in the music. That was kind of, I feel, pro probably my influence. My youngest brother, Pete, was a vocal major at CU, super talented, just extraordinary musician, you know, could hit any note and was phenomenally talented on the guitar and organ um, vocally. So he brought the like real musicianship to the band and was kind of like trying to teach me as much as he could throughout that time about writing music and, and playing music, so. Uh -huh. And you guys were touring for how many years? Oh man, I, I think it was between six and eight years, something like that. Wow. Yeah, it was a long for run. Long. You yeah. had your own tour bus. Yep, well we had, yeah, we had RV, trailer, bands. We had, you know, tour manager and a manager. It was kind of becoming this 
it was like a thing. Like this thing. Yeah. It, it worked out. Yeah, we really thought that was going to be what we did. Um, and then my brother Tony kind of started. He had his first daughter, and and that became a little bit taxing on the time that he was able to spend. Uh -huh. um, and then his second daughter came, and it kind of was a little more taxing. So. Eventually, we sort of he decided that it wasn't going to be the path he wanted to follow, and we decided to sort of part ways. Mm. Um, and that's when I transitioned into deciding to do art full time. Mm. I was like, oh, if I'm not going to be playing music, like I still want to be creative. Like, what can I do? It's kind of a little, a little bit longer, and there's a precursor to that in that, you know, I was doing all of our show posters and album graphics and t-shirt designs and things like that right. for the band during right. that time so period. you're already doing art yeah really. i was kind of getting my feet wet with like product development and, and creating things to sell at our merch table and so somewhere along the line we started introducing prints of my artwork at the merch table and uh -huh. greeting cards and like things that were very art forward it wasn't so much about the band it was more about me and my art and that became really well received, you know, and we started to be like, whoa, we, we can actually sell a lot of art at the merch table. So um, I had this idea that that could be an option, an opportunity for me to transition into doing the art full time. So mm -hmm. kind of swapped out the base rig for the art rig, you know, and like towed it around the country in the trailer um, selling art. What's the music. art rig? Well, you know, just like the festival booth and the tables and the uh -huh. chairs and the art and the... I had taken some of that experience from the music world uh -huh. and brought it to the art world. Like I have custom road cases for all my art pieces, you know, slots for the camera. You canvas already were like experienced with having a merch table as a mm -hmm. musician, and he's like, "Well, I ju we'll just do this as a visual artist." Yeah, which was less done back then. It was at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Uh, would you say you're the first one who was like uh, really no. the festivals with like? Bill Lewis no. or just visual art? I wouldn't say the first, definitely not. But, yeah. um, you know, in the earlier days, I was one of few at certain festivals. What year is this? This was probably, the, the first time I ever did a music festival was Sonic Bloom in 2008. Mm -hmm. And that was also a bit of an eye-opener to like, whoa, there's this culture here because we didn't really i didn't really go to festivals prior to that like it just wasn't a thing like we were like more of a rock band we did dirty grungy venues you know it's mm -hmm. kind of like this rock world it didn't interact with the yeah, sort of the, the festival thing fest. yeah so for me doing sonic bloom that one time was was like whoa this this is pretty rad and so um at that point i sort of shifted my focus into doing to vending artwork at music festivals Mm -hmm. But prior to that, I was doing a lot of like art fairs, you know, like uh, street art festivals and things around Boulder, like the Boulder Creek Festival and the Hometown Fair and a bunch of these other ones that are very art and craft sort of oriented. And those were going well, they were great, but it wasn't until I did a music festival where my the opportunity really expanded. Yeah, so you're like, I can make a good living from this. Yeah, yeah. How would you compare as somebody who both was a musician and an artist, what's the... What's easier, to make it as a musician or to make it as a visual artist? Yeah, well, I will say I think that it has a lot to do with your timing and sort of like the way in which you find yourself in either one of those industries. Because my experience with the music industry is that it was really hard. Like, it's very, very hard to make a living as a musician unless you happen to be kind of the right place at the right time, creating the right music for the right people. You know, all the stars have to align. And right. I sort of feel that's true with art too. It's, it's, but for me, the calling to make visual art it was a better, a better calling, a better path for me to follow. So right. I feel super fortunate and blessed to have found this path as an artist, a visual artist um, that's given me unbelievable support. 
Right. And, and not that you don't depend on other people to work with you, but say like a band is a group of people. So say you said your, your brother Tony yep, yep. had a kid and that kind of like fucked it up for ARALs. While with art, it's like, well, it's just me here. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is, I would say, perhaps makes it a little easier in that I get to just make all the decisions. You know, it's like right, I right. do whatever I feel like I should be doing. Whereas, yeah, when you're in a band, you have to run it, you have to bounce it off each other. You have to get along and like, being siblings, you know, you can get pretty nasty with each other. And so, right. yeah, we definitely had some heated conversations about what we should or shouldn't be doing and, uh -huh. and things like that. So it's really, it's a tough question to answer. They're both can be challenging, but they both can be very fruitful. So it just yeah, depends. Totally. So tell me about your art. What is your art about? If like, I, that's a, I know that's like a hard question. It's mm -hmm. like, well, my whole art's this one thing. Like yep. perhaps it's like about many different things, but is there like general subject matter, intentions, vibes you're trying to transmit in communication? Yeah, I mean, I've always tried to make happy art, really, you know? Like there's elements, there's darker sides to it here and there as there is for everything. But overall, generally, I really want it to be positive. I want people to feel enlightened when they view it, you know? And for me, that's a reflection of like how I've been fortunate enough to see the world. Like growing up in Tahoe, living in Boulder, traveling to amazing places, like I feel super inspired by seeing natural beauty. And so I try and like translate that through this medium into images that sort of try and capture that energy. So, and, and I'm also very inspired by animals. I really like, um, you know, feel animal energy. It's like there's this vibration to it that I want to try and do something with. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I try and blend like my take on natural beauty and animal energy generally. It's mm -hmm. kind of the gist of it. And really make it very vibrant, very bright and colorful and like sort of like fun to look at. I want it to be uh, a positive and fun experience. Nice. What's your mediums? Well, the last probably 20 years now, I've been really focusing on creating this stuff, which is a combination of hand-drawn elements and then Photoshop digital sort of manipulation. Mm -hmm. so, so no tablet? Yeah, I, I do. I use a Wacom Cintiq tablet and also okay. an iPad Pro to sort of do some of this. But kind of the way that all of my artwork starts is pencil drawings on paper like right. for me that's the root of it all it's like the, it's the way that I'm able to most directly communicate the image that I want to like pull out of my head and put on to paper is just super raw pencil paper so I, I usually draw the whole entire piece out um, on a piece of paper a pretty small scale and I'll scan those pencil drawings and zoom in on them uh, in Photoshop or more re recently on an iPad zoom in and create a new layer and then start and trace all the pencil work by hand digitally. So I get a digital line layer of the pencil drawing. So I then use that line layer uh, as a foundation for all the color and the lighting and shading and effects and filters and all the Photoshop stuff. So in the end, it's a digital media that is printed and we uh, you know print on dye sublimation onto metal, like aluminum like these or inkjet onto canvas, but a whole host of other surfaces as well. Do your paint? I mean, I've gone through phases with paint, but it doesn't seem to be as direct of a channel for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of like pretty into technology and I do like pressing buttons and screens and mm -hmm. gadgets and computers and things. So for me, it's really fun to be able to blend like artistic vision with technical like tools. I don't know, it feels like a great blend for me. Right, yeah. uh, as a musician, you worked with 
guitars and that mm -hmm. used electricity and yep. amps and stuff as much as like music's always organic coming from your fingers. Yeah. So you, that's like, you know, the tools, technological tools is something that seems to work with you. Yeah, it does. I had a huge pedal board, all kinds of crazy oh, things yeah. going on, you know, it was, it was nuts. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, hey, that's I, I got to hear your music. <laughs> yeah, though, I'll is it share it with you. Uh, I'd have to dig deep for it. I, this was prior to like Spotify and SoundCloud and all that stuff. I think we, at one point we had like a really big MySpace page, you know, oh, like MySpace. it was old school. So I don't, one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. Try to get us to listen to man. <laughs> uh, but I'd love to like, you know, if you had like a mixtape or maybe you yeah. can make like a mix CD sure. to give to your friends. No, I have files. I can share stuff with you. Totally. Yeah, that'd be yeah. so cool. Yeah. I, I love psychedelic rock. Yeah. Um, it seems like you're... Well, you as a gallery work with visionary artists, your art has a visionary player. Do you consider yourself a visionary artist and what does that mean? Yeah, it's kind of a tough one because I feel like I was doing my thing with this style, with this sort of has a psychedelic flair to it prior to even understanding or discovering what visionary art was, you know, like when I was doing street art festivals and showing at hair salons and restaurants, I wasn't, I didn't even really know that like psychedelic music festivals were a thing. So for me, I kind of like fell into that group and I do resonate with it. I do feel a connection within it, but I don't know that I would necessarily go out and say that my art is 100% visionary art. Right. You know, I do feel like I'm have visions and I want to translate them and I do feel like tapping into an energy that's there that we're all kind of like wanting to get to somehow so in a way I, I feel it's it's visionary but I don't know that it's uh what the, I don't even know if there is a standard definition of visionary art but you know well, it's somewhere in between who you're asking mm -hmm. you'd say you're asking Alex Gray who really uh, likes that term he would say Visionary art is the art that comes from the mystic experience, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, looking into other dimensions past the physical dimension. Sure. So yeah. yours would fit into I that? I think so, yeah. There's an element of that for sure, looking beyond what you see, like, you know, in reality, or at least normally, you know? Like trying to tap into the vibrations that I feel when I want to make this art. Right. Where do your visions come from usually? I mean, at this point, it's become so ingrained in like my life and what I do it, that it can come from anywhere, like literally anything, conversation with somebody or like a flash of noticing something, you know, like it literally, it's really hard to predict um, where inspiration comes from, but it's all around. So it's just being open to the opportunity for it to strike. Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you... Uh since you're saying like your art psychedelic, yeah. is it coming from psychedelics at all? Is there a, yeah. any interaction with that? Sure. I mean, in my younger years, you know, I was definitely pretty into like psychedelic mushrooms. That was something that was definitely a part of my exploration of the world and discovering who I was. And so I feel like once you've kind of seen the world in that way, you, you can't close those doors again, you know? So right. it, it opened me up to developing artwork in a, in a way that I was able to see what I wanted to, to capture. Um, so it's not really part of my life anymore, but there was a period where it was in inspirational and influential in kind of developing this aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Do you see, or well, you don't do it anymore? You had that chapter. Uh, you know, I mean, aspects. here and there, but it's not, it's not, it's like not a practice for me. Right. Uh, but when you do do them, 
do you actually see something? Do you hallucinate, as they call it? Mm -hmm. Or is it more like you catch a vibe and then you try to translate it through your personal language? Yeah, much more the latter. You know, it's like having a moment where you're just witnessing a sunset over the mountains where things are just exploding into crazy colors and amazingness. It's like just like feeling that and then trying to capture or sort of like regurgitate that or translate that through a medium is sort of more where that comes in as inspiration for me mm -hmm. and like I don't know over the years this is just like when I sit down to make art I don't even necessarily see it this way this is just just what comes out <laughs> you know right. it's like you sit down to draw and it's like well okay let's check this out you know and like I've developed like tools in the toolbox of, as far as like patterns that I like to use and ways in which I like to draw certain things but um, it's it's very much an exploration creating art you know it's like right. you're not really sure what you're gonna get until, uh -huh. you, until you get there with it so totally yeah it surprises you as much as anybody else yeah so you've also become throughout this process of being an artist a great entrepreneur which is an art in itself you know like mm -hmm. to create uh, products of your art and, and to be able to sell it. This all started, as you were explaining before, through the booths. Mm -hmm. How long did you do your merch uh, booth at festivals? I mean, all the way, from, I, I guess, I, I use Sonic Bloom as kind of like the first, I, in my mind, that's like, okay, that was when it kind of really started, you know? I was messing around before that, but so t from 2008 to 2020, basically, was like uh, very focused on festivals and vending at festivals so it's a good chunk of time there for sure and it, it was definitely instrumental in like helping to spread the word about my art and exposing it to many people you know as uh, people travel from all over to go to these festivals and then they go from the festival back to wherever they came from and so it just sort of proliferates and mm -hmm. um, it's instrumental into building a following in a grassroots sort of like understanding and awareness of, of my work right how was that experience of having to go from place to place over and over again, building up booths, trying to sell something, put it back in the stuffed uh, trailer or yeah. van, working with people, complications, mm -hmm. weather? Yeah, it's it's definitely a grind. You know? <laughs> it's hard work. It's it's grueling, um, but it's also very exciting. You know, especially in like the beginning when we were just first getting into it, it was like this is incredible, you know? It was like such an awesome experience to be able to set up a gallery in a booth and to have so many conversations with so many different people from so many different walks of life, like, who are, were all very receptive to what I was showing. And, you know, it was just a fantastic experience, definitely. I, I loved it. Um, but, you know, there's kind of a time for certain things and life has its ebbs and flows. And I feel like that time period for me has kind of moved yeah. on, moved How on. Well, the catalyst for that was the birth of my son, Robin, yeah, eight years ago. So, you know, when he was born, I was still doing festivals, and I kind of, uh, even that summer, had to go to Telluride Bluegrass, like, two weeks after he came, and it was, I just felt just horrible for me to be away from him, and I knew at that moment that I needed to be at home more, and I wanted to experience his youth and being there for him, so... To me, that was a moment where I kind of like decided that I didn't really want to be on the road for two weeks at a time anymore. So I kind of like transitioned into having um, people, a team work for me at festivals for a while. Um, and then, I mean, 
we talked about this earlier, but like coincidentally, I could kind of decided in 2019 that 2020 was going to be the first season that I just didn't do any festivals. Like I was going to focus more on this location and trying to book my own shows here for other artists. And then coincidentally, you know, we had the whole COVID thing happen and all the festivals got canceled anyway. So mm -hmm. it was a little serendipitous, the timing. Um, so that was a moment when I sort of decided I, I, I felt the calling to be at home more than on the road. Do you miss it at all or you, you had your time? No, I mean, I do at times for sure. There's something special about kind of like all the work that goes into setting it up. And then that first morning when you open the doors, it's like, you know, you, you feel it's a good feeling. You feel, it's empowering and it feels like you're doing something good in the world. And, and I loved it. I did. But, you know, I, I'm more excited to do different things at this point. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, next I wanted to ask you about this gallery. We actually met at this gallery. Uh, we had talked online and you uh, said I could do uh, a group show here that I organized with the, this toy that I had made in uh, 2000, uh, I think it was 2019. Mm -hmm. I made this toy and I made blank versions that then I gave to a bunch of artists to paint, including yourself. And then we had a group show here. That was like the first time I actually met you. Mm -hmm. And we had a beautiful uh, gallery show. It's such a good vibe. And thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Um, how is the experience of owning your own store and art gallery? Where the, when did that start? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about sure. it. Sure. Well, I did have like one sort of public facing retail sort of environment prior to this space. Okay. Um, that was a little more off the beaten path. It was kind of east end of uh, Pearl Street, like Belmont, like, I don't know, just the other side of Foothills there. And so it wasn't as visible and it wasn't as heavily trafficked. Um, but that kind of got me interested in the idea of like, well, maybe, maybe we should try and do this on Pearl Street or someplace where there's like, you know, more traffic, more exposure. Um, and then many stars aligned for this space to become available and for us to, to lock it down and move in here um, and since then it's been definitely an amazing experience it's great it's so nice to have a space that we can really build out you know when we moved in here this space was the total shell there was you bought it right yes we purchased the space and was able to sort of like build the floor plan how i wanted and, mm -hmm. and so from having previous spaces i knew like how much square footage i wanted for this and for that and how much room i needed for the laser and the you know the setup so it, this place is totally tailored to work exactly as it does and, mm -hmm. and that's pretty exciting it was pretty fun too um everything like the lighting the walls the sanding of the concrete floor you know like we built this entire space out to be exactly what it is so i I'm, I'm proud of this space i think it's pretty it's awesome it's really nice to be right here on pearl where people can walk by and be like what is this you know and come mm -hmm. on in and have a crazy experience in here and it's also been very nice to have a location that's sort of like a home base for my work you know all those years on the road i was able to build a, a widespread following all over the country and so when people come to boulder for whatever reason maybe they're seeing a show at the fox or the boulder theater or even red rocks or something they're like kind of aware that i have space here so they'll make an effort to come in and visit while they're in town and that's been pretty awesome you know people from all over the country are like we're here for whatever and right. you were here so it's central for the hippie culture yeah that, you know resonates with your work yeah it's like a solid permanent sort of like climate controlled <laughs> festival booth basically you know? <laughs> that's dusty uh, yeah exactly so what you got in here you got a storage in the back mm -hmm. You got the store in the front, like with tons of amazing, beautiful products. Mm -hmm. 
and then there's middle rooms, an office, and you got some machinery in there. Yep. Can you tell me what that is? Sure, yeah. I, I, we use that second room as like production for laser and UV produced products and art. So these, those two machines are fairly industrial. You, you, can, you can have them in your house or garage, but maybe not the best thing, you know? Wow. They have to be vented um, and filtered. Okay. Um, they produce, you know, smoke literally when you're cutting things with a laser. Um, and the inks are, they, they're fairly fumy sometimes. So we have extraction fans and filters in here. So, um, but it's also been a cool experience to be able to share the process with people as they come in and visit, you know, right. and I'm happy to be back there working on whatever it is. Um, and get to kind of walk people through my process as far as like the production side of things. Um, we do outsource a lot of large format printing, but uh, the smaller UV related art is all done right here. So it's cool to have this space. It's, it's more gallery space as well. There's art on all the walls, but it's also a production facility. Right. What kind of... What kind of products do those machines specifically make? Like, um, uh, for those who don't know what a laser cutting machine yeah, does. Yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's able to cut through wood or plastic or a variety of materials and then also engrave the surface of them. So I have like multi-layer wood pieces like this robin here where it's multiple species of wood with certain elements cut and engraved and then I'll wood glue them back together in kind of silhouette style pieces. Um, but also, you know, I've had this UV printer for about almost four years now, and that's really opened the door to applying full color to things, whereas before the laser was just engraving. So they work really well together. Like I make a lot of vessels, like the, the water bottles, the stainless steel flasks that can be printed on with full color, and then also laser engraved through and, you know, mixed and matched and just kind of played around with. It's a super technical, heavy machine that um, it, there's a big learning curve to understanding like how does this thing even work. But as I'm learning it, um, it's super powerful. It's like it's it's like if you have an idea for something, you, there's probably a way to make it happen. You just have to like mm -hmm. find the path. Nice. <laughs> so. Well, you seem motivated and passionate about it. It's almost like you know creating the perfect art product mm -hmm. is almost as important to you as create an art piece or the product is the art piece. Yeah, in some ways I, I definitely view it like that. Like, you know, really the goal for me with my art is to share it however I can. And so mm -hmm. for me, making functional products and engaging products is can it sometimes be more exciting than actual piece on somebody's wall because if they fall in love with the art and it's on a water bottle, they're gonna like, travel with that. It's gonna go with them, you know, every day, wherever they go. And so to be able to like hold and engage and be with a piece of art, that's that's an exciting way to share it. Right, it's know? functional, yeah. it's part of their life. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more than just looking at something yeah. being separate from it. Mm -hmm. And I find that, you know, a lot of people also who collect art end up having lots of art on the wall. They might not have that much wall space left, you know? Or, right. or they want to gift a piece of art to somebody, but like this is a big commitment something this size so mm -hmm. something smaller has the same art on it that's unique in its own way can be also a very thoughtful gift so a lot of my work and my products are, are definitely gifted uh -huh. um, which is an honor for me I think that's great nice so you got like a ton of products could you name some of them and tell me perhaps what are some of your favorite ones mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm really thinking that these vessels are pretty sweet. The water bottles. Yeah, the water bottles, the stainless steel flasks. It really is a cool surface to be able to 
um, apply two-dimensional art to a three-dimensional object, you know, because really what I make is two-dimensional work, mm -hmm. but this makes it 3D, and you can mm -hmm. spin it around, you can hold it, you can feel it. The printer is capable of applying texture beneath some of the inks if you want to. There's ways to apply different opacities of the underbase so that some parts of it are shiny and metallic and other parts are more opaque and complete, so... For me, that, that's exciting territory, like working with stainless steel, like a three-dimensional stainless steel thing that you can hold. That's kind of fun. Right. Yeah. What other products have, do you make? Uh, I mean, the list is quite extensive, but I, I, yeah, sure. Um, well, skateboard grip tape, that's been a really fun one. Just teamed up with this company called Splatter Goat, and we're making that. We've done that for a couple years now. It's just awesome. I don't know. I grew up skateboarding. I love skateboards. And... The ability to to look down at your skateboard and have it be artistic and awesome is pretty cool, you know. Like the bottom of skateboards have been putting art on those for forever, for years. But you don't you don't necessarily look at the bottom of it when you're on it. Right. So you know, for me to be able to apply the art to the surface of a skateboard has been pretty cool. And it's fun to see people they get to engage with it too. They install it themselves. They share pictures with me. You know, it's like this interactive thing that lets people adorn something they also love and share it. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and then you got me. your skis and your snowboards. Yeah. You got puzzles. Yep. Uh, made out of wood, right? Yep. Those are done um, by the local company here, Liberty Puzzles. That's been a phenomenal partnership. We've been together for like 12 years now, maybe maybe even more. Um, we have 20 something pu puzzles together. It's pretty awesome. They use the same laser machine that I have here to cut through quarter inch maple plywood that, you know, there's a print on. And so the shapes are all interesting little whimsy shapes and crazy characters and things. That's been a really cool partnership working with those guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you got pins and I don't know what that thing there is. That the thing to the edge here, like that those rectangular thingies. In this case here? Yeah. Oh, the, these are the PAX vaporizers. Okay. So cannabis vaporizers for um, you know flour and oil cartridges. So uh -huh. it's pretty big here in Boulder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Colorado in general. Do you smoke weed? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, so and what would you say is like your best selling product or the one that makes you the most money? <laughs> well, something that's done really well for us especially since 2020 has been for the golf discs uh -huh. you know i've been doing these buzz discraft discs for many years we started doing those at festivals yeah. i don't even know it's been a long maybe 10 years ago but since sort of like the explosion of outdoor recreation like markets since the lockdown thing happened back then disc golf has really exploded and so we've been like really just it's been hard to keep those in stock like I order as many as I can, as often as I can, and they move really quickly, and it's awesome, it's fun. It's a super cool, crazy, colorful, artistic way to get out there. Buzz is the name of a crispy golf brand, or is the manufacturer? The brand is Discraft, they're also the manufacturer. Buzz is the name of that particular disc. It's like a mid-range uh, driver disc. Okay. That's pretty well known in the scene. I know so little yeah. about Frisbee golf. Yeah, yeah. Like the fact that they didn't exist is pretty tricky to me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, people are into it. People love it. It's a fun time to get outside and just, you know, have a great time in the sun. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. So still on the topic of, of business, mm -hmm. I find myself as a, also a, somebody who, you know, has a brand, is an entrepreneur and stuff, you always got to work with other people. Mm -hmm. But people are challenging to work with sometimes, you know, yep. especially when it comes down to money and who does what and one being a boss, one being a worker. Mm -hmm. 
what's your experience with that? How have you found the people that work well with you and how have you moved away from the ones who, you know, are not aligned with your own vibe? Yeah, I mean, I've worked with many people over the years and I do feel there's just an energy that you can feel if you're not aligned on things. And so people have come and gone, you know, and I've had many employees over the years and for some, sometimes people just are moving away or they have a life change or for whatever reason we part ways. But, you know, I've had a couple of people who have been with me for many years now and uh, I'm super grateful for their support and dedication and we have a solid little team. Mm -hmm. Nice, congrats, man. Thanks. I, I like your coworkers, the ones that yeah. met. You yeah, got great. Mike yep. running the gallery. Yep, Mike has been with me for about six years now. Mike, Mike Dempsey, he's kind of got his own scene too. A lot of people know who, who he is and he's a, he's a gem. Yeah. So I'm fortunate to have him. Yeah, such a nice guy when yeah. I met him at art shows and stuff. So you seem to have a really great life, Phil. You got a nice family with a kid, you got a beautiful art that you make, a business that runs well, uh, a nice uh, uh, boat and activity to um, have fun whenever you want. Is there more that you strive for? Is it like, like a goal that comes after that? Or is there like a self-satisfaction where you're like, you know what? everything's great I just gotta kind of like give thanks every day and be in that presence of like the amazing gift that I have yeah or are you an, an ambitious human being who's like what's yeah. next level <laughs> right? how do I up this thing yeah I, I feel like it's a, a little bit of both but more recently kind of chilling out a little bit and focusing on what I have built so far which is really this space and the fan base and using that this wall, this platform to showcase other artists that I'm inspired by and that I want to share their work with my community mm -hmm. and the community in Boulder in general. Like um, there's not too many art galleries here that are kind of showcasing like visionary art or any art that's in that sort of realm. So it's an exciting opportunity to try and like focus on this space, focus on the shows here, and sort of like not be all over the place trying new things all the time. Mm -hmm. um, all that being said, like I still am inspired to make new art and I never know what's coming next. That's part of the fun of it, you know? And also to think about, I don't know, I never knew that I was gonna get into laser engraving. I never knew that I was gonna get into UV printing. It's kinda like, I don't know what's next, you know? But that's exciting and it's fun. I know there will be something that comes along down the line, like I might get into sculpture i don't know i have no idea what it is but yeah. there's an understanding that i want to be on this creative path for my life and so um it's fun to think about i don't know what, what could come right so, yeah. the, so the goals are not necessarily like i'm gonna make a phil lewis chain of stores around yeah. the country and conquer it's yeah. more like you know i'm gonna make this like really as good as it could be yeah. plus i want to learn new uh ways of expression and, mm -hmm. and video games to keep on doing what i'm already doing yeah i think it is more of that like i i'm i feel super fortunate to have made it to where i am and i am trying to sort of like realize that like bask in that a little bit and sort of reflect on it and use it as a platform so mm -hmm. yeah I don't necessarily have like huge big lofty goals like I I am super blessed to be where I am and I'm trying to sort of like feel that mm -hmm. well I think it's so nice that you use your platform your gallery to give shows to other artists to get out there what's some artists that you've uh, worked with that uh, or you know that you've enjoyed 
sharing the space with. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of a long list at this point. It's been a lot of like amazingly talented people. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, you know, there's, I, I could pull out the list and lame them, but um, I mean, the group show that we did with you was fantastic. Um, you know, because they included a lot of those people too. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of we're building a little bit of a community around the scene here, you know, and like everybody gets their turn, you know, and that's great. I love that. Um, but I'm, I'm constantly trying to invite new artists and people that I want to eventually feature and show here, um, you know, building it, a little bit of a family. I'm trying to. Is it tough to be a, a curator? Because when you're a curator, sometimes you gotta like leave people out. Like for example, a kid could come and their art might not be there yet. Yeah. And you gotta have like the heart to be like, sorry kid, come back in three years once yeah. this is crystallized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How's that? That's a little bit challenging for sure. Like people will show me their art and, and you know, uh, sort of like ask to show here. And sometimes it is about the timing, you know, and people have to be sort of ready for it. I'm trying to put on super high quality shows with bodies of work that are well established and with artists that have a following to some degree so that they can help bring people in to, to their shows, you know? So, um, yeah, it's been a little challenging, but also like a lot of fun. Like it's, for me, it's just, I've been reaching out to the people that I know and the people that I, I like their art. And I don't really have like a set, hard and fast set schedule. There's no stress, there's no timelines. It's just, hey, do you wanna do a show here? When do you wanna do it? You know, like, let's do it, that'll be fun. So I'm pretty like easy going about it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit challenging to say no to people, um, but at the same time, I get to say yes, and I get to invite those that I want to, mm -hmm. or hope totally. to. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough role, that's why I'm asking, you know, because yeah. uh, curators are important, galleries are mm -hmm. important, but sometimes we just gotta be ready to be like, hey, this is not our style, and you gotta be like, all right, that's yep. cool too, and I'm gonna hate on the person for doing what they feel is best with their own yeah, place. Yeah, absolutely. I do, uh, I mean, I always try and provide encouragement, you know, um, and I, that's something I've always been about. When younger artists come in and ask me questions, like I'm, I try and give them as much information that I can and, and you know, really engage and inspire as much as I can. So it, it's totally fine if the timing's not right. I, I think that's totally acceptable. Um, and, you know, people said no to me too when I was doing my thing when I was younger as well. So mm -hmm. I understand it. Totally. How do you observe the state of the world and how can us, you and me, or people in general, how can we like, you know, help change it for the better? Yeah, we do find ourselves in tumultuous times, I'd say. It's pretty crazy. Um, I think really what it comes down to is like, exposing, trying to limit your exposure to the things that really like actually matter in your life and really engage, like where there's immediate sort of response. Like, and I don't know, I, that, no judgment, but watching the mass media, you know, watching and, and buying into the narrative can be pretty threatening. It can be detrimental and you feel powerless scary. Yeah, so I, I've always sort of like tried to approach it like, Things in here are great, you know? Things right outside are awesome. Let's all have a, the best time that we can expressing our own sort of like energies um, without trying to be influenced by like outside negative forces. And I think that's really all you kind of can do is just try your best to mm -hmm. shine your light however that you do that. Right, just do your part, be yourself, mm -hmm. pass on the good vibes, hopefully as widely as possible. Yeah. But uh, also not feel like 
you know, bad if you can't heal it all, which is an impossible yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's hard to try and change the world, but what you can do is just be as positive as you can, I guess, you know? That's kind of what I've always tried to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Would, uh, so we're coming to the end of this interview. Would you have some final words of wisdom, either about anything at all or specific to artists or artists who want to make a business or you know people who want to follow your path at all? Do you have any suggestions, recommendations, yeah. tips? Yeah, I, something I learned many years ago uh, at a music conference actually in San Diego um, was this like, it was, it was very music industry focused, but it was a bit of a motivational speaker type situation. This guy, Tim Sweeney, I don't know. He, he was pretty inspirational to us at that time in our life. And one of his biggest things was to try and eliminate self-doubt. And that really struck a chord with me because if you are trying to make art, you're trying to do anything creative, there's the tendency for this thing to say, oh, this isn't good enough. Like, oh, this kind of sucks. I'm not good. Like, uh, people aren't going to like this or whatever. And that is really the only thing that's going to stop you, really. Like, if you, yeah, if you believe in yourself and you, you're not doubting what it is you're going to do, you will find a way to do it. And so that, that, I mean, that really helped me when I was younger. I just try it. Every time something creeps in, I'm just like, oh, that's self-doubt. Get it out of there. No self-doubt. Like, do not doubt it. If I believe it, do it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a pretty big believer in sort of like manifestation and like thoughts become things and that sort of like mentality. So if you can, try and eliminate the doubt and believe in yourself. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it sounds a little cheesy, but it's really kind of like true. Or true it has been for true. me. And yeah. It's good to say it in a variety of words yep. to remind ourselves to really just be a straight arrow and go and get what our heart really yearns for. Yeah, totally. So that's a beautiful... Final words, thank you so much. Yeah, Cal. brother, for sure. Thank Woo! you. That was, a, that was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, blessing. And thank you guys for watching another episode of Chris Dyer Creative Friends. I hope you enjoyed it. So please make sure to like, share, comment, uh, subscribe, put the ringing little belly thingy that helps you uh, get the notifications when these shows come out every two weeks. And uh, yeah, thank you for supporting, and I'll see you next time. Blessing! Next episode, my guest will be Chore Boogie. I'm an artist. I don't, uh, I don't care about all them freaking turns. My art is my art. I'm an artist. Whether I do murals, whether I do canvas works, it's all the same to me. Sculptures, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, since I'm an artist. I can create my own terminology. I create my own meaning. I can create my own understanding. You know, I'm mm -hmm. an artist. We all are. Everybody can do that. And I've been preaching that for years. And you know, not not to be subjected to um, somebody else's uh, genre or somebody else's uh, perspective of, of what they think art is. You know, that's mm -hmm. why you know I have my own style, modern hieroglyphics. So please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Big thanks, and see you next episode. Hmm.